continuing our series that we started last week called Great Awakening, Matthew Style. This is part two, the Moses Jumpstart. And I'm really excited about teaching from Matthew because it's an angle on the, on the book of Matthew that I think that is, will be very fresh for many of us. We know, as I mentioned last week when we started the series, that we have what happens after the three-year ministry of Jesus. We understand what happens afterwards through the book of Acts. But the book of Acts focuses on, in the first few chapters, on Peter and John working together, and then transitions into the Apostle Paul uh, working with uh, his team through the remainder of the book of Acts. So we don't really know what happens in, in the book of Acts. What about the other apostles, other disciples that hung out with Jesus and got trained and equipped to do the work of the ministry, establishing the gospel globally? Well, I uh, mentioned to you that one way of understanding what, we, what happened with those guys is to do the same thing we do when we read the Apostle Paul's letters. We can understand some of the difficulties, stress points, what's going on in the churches that the Apostle Paul and the other uh, pastoral letters that are written in the New Testament. We can understand what's going on in the churches by reading the letters And it's like listening in on one end of a telephone conversation. We can't understand fully, but we can get the broad brushstrokes. We can understand what's going on. And we can also do that with uh, the Gospel of Matthew. We can learn a lot because Matthew doesn't just record per se what he remembered that Jesus uh, taught. But he has a church he's pastoring. He has a church he's leading and serving. It's a church that's having the same uh, challenges that Jesus had Uh, from the scribes and Pharisees in Jesus' three years of ministry. But it went on for 40 more years. The the Jewish scribes and Pharisees and lawyers were were basically saying, this Jesus thing was just a a blasphemous cult. You guys just need, it just needs to be stomped out. And of course, they tried to stomp it out on on, on the day of Pentecost and before, but it's like a gasoline fire, you know, stomp it out, it just spreads. And that's what happens is what's going on in Matthew. With Matthew, there's just an enormous great awakening among the Jewish people and the the Gentiles that he's ministering to. And one of the things that Matthew does is he's not just looking back to the life of ministry of Jesus and recording it, but he's going back farther. He's going back to the Old Testament. He's studying out the, the, the prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament, and there are over 100 direct statements or or allusions from the Old Testament to the life of Jesus. In other words, as Matthew is ministering to the Jewish Christians, um, he's saying, he's giving them encouragement that what they believe is true. The Old Testament totally backs it up. And also he is reaching out to uh, pre-believers that are Jews, Jewish pre-believers, and he's cornering them with these 100 and more prophecies and allusions in the Old Testament because they honored the Old Testament. He's cornering them into faith in Jesus. You know what? We can, let, we can let the book of Matthew do that for us today too. We can allow ourselves to be cornered into the reality that Jesus Christ is the complete fulfillment of every single Old Testament expectation. That he's not, he's not some kind of fringe um, also ran, addendum. 
He is central to all the salvation history from Genesis to Malachi. He is, he is what? It's, history is his story. It's always all about Jesus. And history is going somewhere. It'll be culminated in, in the second coming of Christ and the, and the judgment. And this is where we're heading. And, and Matthew is addressing this. He is stirring people up. He's stirring the Jewish people up. We mentioned that he referred to, um, to Abraham. And he's telling the Jewish people and the Gentile people that the, the blessing, all the blessings of Abraham, the covenant blessings of Abraham, they're, they're not based on, on genetics. They're not based on biology. They're not based on the fact that he's your great, 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 however far back, grandfather he is that God can raise up out of stones children to Abraham but for Jews and for Gentiles alike faith in Jesus makes you spiritual Israel with a full-blown experience of the promise way beyond you your even ability to grasp it you are so blessed way beyond what you can even you can even imagine because you are spiritual Israel and in saying that, I know I'm annoying a few of you because of the emphasis you have on the, on, the, on the promises to the nation of Israel. I'm not taking away from the promises to Israel. I'm saying that a lot of prophecy has double application. I just don't want to, I just don't want to take away anything from the promise of the blood of Christ and the blessing of Christ from every Gentile that has faith in Jesus because the promise of Abraham is to Abraham and his seed. Who is Jesus? And you're in Jesus, so it's, you have the full access to the blessings of Abraham. The Old Testament is yours, not in terms of the law, in terms of uh, the condemnation, the guilt, but in terms of every single blessing. Is, you are the target. God's got a big target on your back for his favor. Sorry, I'm a little tense here already. A church that is not evangelizing is fossilizing. Matthew's church was evangelizing. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come to fulfill them. I am the full end of the law and the prophets. I mentioned last time that Jesus especially highlights three great leaders from the Old Testament, Abraham, Moses, and King David. We talked about Abraham last time. I'm going to talk about Moses this time. And when we have, when we have a deep respect for the Bible, as the first century Jewish people did, and even if, even if you don't have respect for the Bible, it's a potent book. So God speaks through the book. But we can see this connection to Abraham as jumper cables from the exciting blessing of God in Abraham's life to now, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Zzz, jumper cables. And we can do the same thing for Moses, and we can do the same thing for King David. David Mickelson will be teaching next Sunday, next weekend, about David. I'm going to finish the talk today 
the balance of the talk about the jumper cable from Moses through Jesus to us. And there's some exciting, helpful stuff. So I invite you to listen attentively. How Matthew emphasizes Jesus completely fulfilling all that Moses stood for. Jesus Christ completely fulfills all that Moses stood for. And my anchor scripture is, this, is this, the transfiguration of Jesus as recorded in Matthew 17, verse 1 and following. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. By the way, Matthew says, after six days, because in the verse prior, the last verse of chapter 16, the word says, Jesus says, there'll be some who will not taste death before they see the kingdom come in power. So now Matthew is saying, after six days, this was partially fulfilled. They saw the kingdom come in power at the Mount of Transfiguration. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. Then Peter asked, answered and said to them, Lord, said to Jesus, sorry, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. The church is always wanting to establish a church building where something cool happens. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. I love it that doesn't even introduce himself as God the Father, but you just knew who it was because he said what he said. Hallelujah. Now, the link to Moses is not just that Moses is, uh, is one of the personages, personalities at the, at the transfiguration of Jesus, but it's what God says. God the Father says, hear him. It's the Aramaic word. It's, this, it's the same word used in the Hebrew with reference to a prophecy that every single Jew would have front and center that they would think about constantly in their lives, especially in light of hoping that the Messiah would come to deliver them and help them. And that is Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, when God says, I will raise up for you a prophet like unto Moses. Him you will hear. And God the Father says, this is my son, hear him. The Jews of Matthew's day and the disciples in the moment, their world was rocked because they knew not only were they having a, a manifestation of God in the, in the present, but they were being told, this is the prophet who is to come. This is the Messiah. Link to Moses. There are other Moses connections. Moses went up on a mountain. Jesus went up on Mount, the mountain of, of transfiguration. Moses came out of Egypt. Jesus was called out of Egypt. There was the tragedy of the murder of the babies in Moses' life. And in, when Jesus was a baby, the, the slaughter of the innocents by King Herod. 
There are five great teaching books of Moses, the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There are five great teaching sections in Matthew's Gospel, the, the Sermon on the Mount, and the ministry, teaching about ministry, going out and doing soul winning and healing the sick, the parables, discipleship, and the second coming of Christ, five teaching sections, a lot about Moses. There's a, Moses taught with authority. He came out and said, God says, Poof, and he talked. And they said of Jesus, he's not teaching us like the scribes and the Pharisees. He talks with authority. When he speaks, we hear the voice of God. Authority. And there's a, one that I want to elaborate on further, and that is that Moses' ministry was to call the people to love God with all of their hearts. There's all the other uh, commandments and other, other directives in the teachings of Moses, but front and center is the command to love God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. And Jesus Christ, when asked, what is the greatest commandment? Says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. Another version, another uh, of the synoptic gospel says strength. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Of these two commandments hang all the law and the, and the prophets. So there's this inner calling to love, to love God and to love people from the heart. The kind of love, the kind of love that no one can see but God. It's, from the, it's in our inner world. The kind of love that can value another person simply because they're created in the image of God. Simply because Jesus established them as valuable by paying the price that he did for them. The kind of love that can love without hooks. That can love without expecting something back. The kind of love that is truly liberating because you feel so loved and valued in your own right because of your God connection with Jesus. And out of that, you can love out of overflow. This is the kind of love that Moses and Jesus say is what God really wants in terms of the Judeo-Christian ethic. The Judeo-Christian ethic isn't just about outward. It is fundamentally and foremost about inward, loving God and people from your heart. And this was a tragedy of first century Judaism and that the leaders, the people that looked, they looked up to for spiritual guidance, the scribes and the Pharisees, only emphasized external obedience. And so that's why John the Baptist can say you're a brood of snakes. You're a brood of vipers. That's why Jesus can say, I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you're not going to enter the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus can say, 
You scribes and Pharisees are like whitewashed tombs. You are only external, but inward you are filled with dead people's bones. There's something completely off that Jesus comes in and says, he's saying, this is what Moses meant. Loving God with your heart, loving people with your heart means your world being rocked on the inside. Awakening happening on the inside. Freedom happening on the inside. Let freedom ring on the inside in a way that your countenance has a, has a Jesus gleam in your eye and a, and a strength and joy that motivates you for life and a vision to praise God for his blessings and to help others access his blessings. So you have purpose in your life. And when you get a hold of this, this calling that God has, you will never, ever, ever say, I'm bored. I don't have purpose. What's there to live for? Because you're so, so motivated and stirred, stirred by the reality that you know why you exist and what you have to live for is electrifying for you and mighty for you on the inside. You have a vision for life. Hallelujah. Someone say amen. amen. The Pharisees tried to make Moses just a little bit more manageable. Because they didn't have the power to, do, to change themselves on the inside. So they just focused on the externals. Jesus, that's not good enough. John Piper writes about the heart. The heart is what we are in the secrecy of our thoughts and feelings. When nobody knows but God. And what we are at this invisible root very, very, very much matters. Jesus said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. You'll agree with me that Jesus in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount emphasizes heart, both in terms of every, every word of it. It talks about values, that have a, beatitudes, have, have more to do about being than doing. It's an experience of the heart. And so the call of God is to be pure in heart. The call of God is to have sexual, sexual fidelity in the heart, not to commit adultery in our hearts. I always have to be careful not to look anybody in the eye when I say that. I don't want you to think I'm thinking about you, you doing that. Not, just so you know. I'm not thinking of any of anybody right now accusing you. <laughs> if I look you in the eye, it means nothing. <laughs> but sexual fidelity is a matter of the heart, not just outward. Whoever lusts after a woman commits adultery in his, in his heart. Money. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Why? Because where your treasure is, I mean, Jesus didn't say so you'll, you'll have a ton of money up in heaven when you get there. That's not what he said. He said, the reason you, you, you put your money, all you can, tithing and, and giving beyond tithing into the kingdom of God, is um, your heart 
It, your heart, your heart is experience, ex- touches heaven when you, we put our money into heaven. We are only forgiven if we forgive others from our hearts. That's sobering, isn't it? Forgiveness is about what's on the inside. It's what is about what's going on in the inside. That's what forgiveness is. The Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I love that, don't you? I love that. It's a wonderful thing to have as a cornerstone for America, the USA. But there's a higher level of happiness. Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, blessed, 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 all about the heart. The Greek word makurios means happy, 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 happy. We want to pursue true happiness. The values of the heart are the key, says the greatest prophet that ever lived, Jesus Christ. The pursuit of happiness is something that's worth pursuing, but true, deep happiness is at a much, it's a, it's a huge upgrade for those of us in the kingdom of heaven. Our citizenship isn't just USA, but our citizenship is the heaven realm. I uh, followed a car into, into New Song today that had a Virginia license plate. And I was like, I chuckled. The Virginia license plate mottos on there says the land of lovers. <laughs> and I thought to myself, you know what? That's a that's a grand statement. But I'm glad that in the kingdom of heaven we're in the land of lovers. We have um, an anointing that the scribes and the Pharisees didn't have. They, we have a power, a resource that wasn't available for the people of God in the past. We have a supernatural strength, motivation, stirring in the inside deeply to love and value God and others from the heart. Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart, for out of your heart are the wellsprings of all of life. We are a land of lovers, hallelujah. Isaiah prophesied about it to Jesus, the spirit, or about Jesus, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty. Jesus Christ has proclaimed liberty, proclaiming liberty to your heart. Jesus Christ, by his spirit, is rocking your world in a continual way. Shaking you up like the hailstorm last night. And saying, I am changing your heart. 
Ezekiel prophesied about it in chapter 36, 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I believe that's speaking of water baptism. And Nathan uh, Peterson told me this morning that his son Obadiah, taking a bath last night, commented to his little brother in the tub with him, you know, uh, since I got baptized, I have new skin. (laughs) Theologian. One of the things that we must face when we're talk, when we realize that Jesus is up the ante, he's up the standard, is that the same principle of the law leading us to Christ applies with the inner heart stuff because we know that when we look at the standard, when Jesus says, be perfect, that we're not perfect. And we look into the teaching of Jesus as a mirror and see we've got egg on our face. And it's a reminder that we have a calling to always be refreshed in humility to the fact that we are operating from a platform, a platform of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, his righteousness imposed upon us, imputed to us, that is a springboard for life and love. It's solid. We can depend upon it. From time to time, I'll, on a, out on the street evangelizing, someone will say, well, I prayed the prayer, but I'm not sure I'm saved. And, you know, I thought, well, you know, there's nothing quite as miserable as a, someone who believes in God, believes in the final judgment of God and eternal judgment and the mercy of Jesus for mankind generally, but has, haven't embraced it for themselves to the point where they can have a smile on their face, a song in their heart, and a dance in their step. And I want to tell you, God wants to give you, if you're in that place, a revelation of his grace so deep that you're not depending on either your holiness or your worthiness or unworthiness. I mean, your focus isn't on his whole, uh, your focus is not on your holiness or your, either that or your unworthiness and and so troubled by it, but your focus is on his holiness and his worthiness. It's a whole different it's like the umpire, three umpires got together on the 4th of July and uh, talking about their style for being umpires for baseball. One says, I calls them like I sees them. The second umpire says, I calls them like they is. Third umpire says, whatever I calls them, they become. <laughs> I want to tell you something, church. Jesus, whatever Jesus has called you, that's who you are. He, you become that. Jesus is like that third umpire. He said, he says, you are holy and blameless in my sight. Yet and yet, the Spirit can convict us and we can keep short accounts and we can ask God to please help us to love. Help us to love God. Help us to love others better. And, and if, we, if we fail, ask Him to forgive us, or I should say when we fail. Ask Him to forgive us and press on having that platform of security. Hallelujah. Ezekiel continues, I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all of your idols. And idols are heart idols, not just, not just gold idols or whatever. I will give you a new heart 
and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Look at me. I have a hint. I have a little bit of a advice for you. God is causing you to walk in his statutes. So hang on to him and you'll find yourself being gooder. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Oh, I don't love you, God. Don't insult me by telling me you don't love me. I put my Holy Spirit in your heart so that you will love me. It's guaranteed. Just hang on to the Holy Spirit and love on. I conclude with a quick story about John Wesley. I love listening to the preaching of John Wesley on audio. He helps me to love God, and he helps me to love, God, love God's people and all people with betterness. <laughs> John Wesley started out as an external Christian. He even went as a missionary, focusing the externals. There was still, his inner life was filled with dead men's bones. Went as a missionary from England to Georgia, failed miserably. He said, I went to Georgia to convert the Indians, but I myself need to be converted. On the way home, a huge storm hit. The German Moravians were out on the deck worshiping God and blessing God in pure, utter tranquility, bliss, and peace. Wesley was hanging on to the mast, terrified. It bugged the heck out of him. <laughs> so he asked them, and they, told, they, and they turned the question on him. Do you know, Do you know if you're, that, that you're saved? He said, no, I, I know Jesus died for, for the sins of the world, but do you know your sins are forgiven? He couldn't say yes. Got home to England shortly, short, shortly thereafter, and you've heard this story, many of you. I've, I tell it about once every five years. <laughs> that uh, walking along Aldersgate, Aldersgate Street, overheard someone reading some of Martin Luther's material from the, from the Reformation about being righteousified by faith in Christ alone. Note the word heart. He says, I felt my heart strangely warmed. My heart got strangely warmed. And I knew that Jesus Christ had died for me, my sins, even mine. Let's stand up. Put your hands on your heart. I sanctify your hearts in the name of Jesus that your hearts would be blessed with the Holy Spirit. You'd be stirred to receive and believe the wonders of his grace and deserve favor and blessing. Your hearts would be stirred to love him more and more and to love others without hooks, without an agenda. No matter how wealthy they are or pretty they are or handsome they are or wealthy or, what, or what they can, whether they can help our business or not. Oh God, we want to be like Jesus. Stir us, we pray.
Everybody said, let freedom ring. Let freedom ring. Marty's team will be on this side. A healing team will be on this side. Happy Fourth of July to everybody.